0: You're listening to Comedy Central. Hey, what's going on, everybody? I'm Trevor Noah, and this is The Daily Social Distancing Show. Today is March 3rd, which means it's still the first week of Women's History Month. It's a great time to celebrate the achievements of women and also a very traumatic month for glass ceilings who have to relive all the times that they've been shattered. So please, if you see a glass ceiling somewhere, give them a hug. Anyway, on tonight's show, a look at the debates to raise the minimum wage. We discover the best new streaming service, and Texas is open for corona. I mean business, open for business. So let's do this, people. Welcome to The Daily Social Distancing Show.
1: From Trevor's couch in New
0: York City to your couch somewhere in the world, this is The Daily Social Distancing Show with Trevor Noah. Ears edition. Let's kick things off with the coronavirus pandemic, which at this point is a lot like Grey's Anatomy. A lot of people think it's over, even though it's not. After dropping for two weeks, new infections are ticking up again, and it's a real race to see whether the vaccines will take hold before the new variants take us out, which is why even as we enter the home stretch, it's important people to mask up and keep out of crowds and not do whatever this is. There is a lot of concern this morning that some states are rushing to open too soon. Defying the CDC, the governors in Texas and Mississippi declaring they're back in business, eliminating mask mandates and allowing all retailers to open at 100 percent capacity. States like Massachusetts, Pennsylvania and Kentucky also easing restrictions, allowing larger crowds in smaller venues, restaurants, high school proms, even Las Vegas pool parties are set to reopen with fewer mandates
1: wedding receptions now they can
2: return in new york in just a few weeks but there's going to be some rules as to how you hit the dance
0: floor new york state promising to enforce dance zones when wedding receptions resume on march 15th under the rules each dance zone is supposed to be a minimum of 36 square feet guests can share a dance zone only with other people from their table and members of their household or family Hold up, hold up, hold up. So if you go to a wedding in New York, you can only dance with your own family in your own dance zone? That is a terrible idea. And I would hate to be the wedding DJ who has to enforce that rule and try and keep things fun. All right, take it back now, y'all. Ha ha, yeah, slide to the right. Yeah, yeah, too far, too far. Up. Slide to the left, or will light your asses up. Slide to the left, stay in your zone. Aw, yeah. So look, man, this is a weird rule, but at least it looks like Governor Cuomo has finally learned the importance of social distancing at weddings. But here's the real question for me. Why are things reopening all of a sudden? Corona's not over yet. I mean, Texas is still getting over 7,000 new cases a day, but their governor got vaccinated, and now he's like, get those clubs back open, I'ma get lit, oh, yeah. And I can even understand wanting to open businesses back up because of the economy, but people lifting mask mandates, that makes no sense at all, no sense. Like I'm sick of Corona too, but this is not the time to ease up on masking. We're so close to the end of the pandemic, we can see it. Why are these governors letting their guard down? I bet these are the same people who read "Tortoise in the hair and they're like, what a great story about a rabbit who took a refreshing nap. But let's move on to the president of the United States, Donald J. Trump. Oh, I'm sorry. You think Joe Biden was inaugurated in January, sheeple? Well, maybe you've been reading the wrong internet message boards and you're gonna find out the truth tomorrow. The FBI is warning of extremist chatter and specifically that there could be another attack on the U.S. Capitol tomorrow.
1: QAnon followers are at it again. They have grasped on to another impossible theory. Trump will take office as the 19th president of the United States on March 4th. They believe in an old inauguration date in place before the passage of the 20th Amendment. It changed from March 4th to January 20th only in 1933.
0: The Trump Hotel has nearly tripled its rates with rooms now going for about $1,300 a night both today and for tomorrow. Oh man, what a grift. Honestly, I don't even blame Trump. If I was him, I would milk the shit out of this thing. I'd be charging my guests for things that they didn't even buy. Wait a minute, I never bought the Toblerone? I guess the Dems stole that too. I feel your pain. And these QAnon people have no one to blame but themselves at this point. I mean, they've been proven wrong time and time and time again, but they just keep moving Trump's inauguration day a little further back. In a way, I understand. I mean, the deeper you fall into something, the less you want to admit that you were duped, you know? Which makes you even more desperate to keep the fantasy going. I mean, that's why I'm sure that the next Kanye album is gonna be great again. It has to be great. In the meantime, though, it looks like Washington will have to prepare for more riots. I mean, they might just end up becoming part of the DC tour guide experience. All right, guys, you just missed the two o'clock insurrection at the Capitol, but the 4.30 p.m. will be happening shortly, so stick around, and please remember, do not feed the Capitol rioters, okay? And finally, Amazon, the only place you can get a monthly subscription of refrigerators. We all use Amazon every day. Well, I mean, except me. I only shop at my local independent bookstore. So important. But people who do use Amazon might have noticed something a little different the last time they went to open the app on their phone.
1: Amazon has changed its new app logo after critics claimed it resembled Hitler's facial features. At issue was the blue tape above the smiling arrow. Critics said the icon looked like Hitler's mustache. The company has now tweaked the image so the tape is folded, not rigid.
0: Wow. First, Dr. Seuss, and now, Adolf Hitler. Cancel culture is getting out of control. Come on, people, this was obviously an innocent mistake. You should give Amazon's graphic designer a break because he's probably not allowed one on his shift. And to be fair to Amazon, everything looks like Hitler. I mean, there are cats that look like Hitler, fish that look like Hitler, houses that look like Hitler. There was this super old guy I met in Argentina last year who looked a lot like Hitler. Like he, oh, wait a second. I mean, if we're gonna go after app logos that make you uncomfortable, well then you know who we should be going after? Instagram. Yeah, because every time I tap it, I feel like I'm sticking my finger in a robot's butthole. Oh, you tell me you've never noticed that. Tell me you've never noticed the same thing. But let's move on now to our main story. One of President Biden's top priorities in his first month in office has been passing a coronavirus relief bill, which makes sense. I mean, people spent an entire year having to smell their own breaths. The least they can get in return is some compensation. Unfortunately though, to actually get the bill passed, Biden needs the support of the United States Senate. And they're about as supportive as a YouTube comment section. Just today, Biden announced a new income limit on who will be getting those $1,400 checks, because moderate Democrats objected to the cost of the bill. And that's after one of the most popular pieces of the bill has already been stripped out. President Biden's bid to double the federal minimum wage apparently will not be part of his COVID relief package. The Democrats plan to pass the president's plan through a budget process called reconciliation. That allows Democrats to pass a big package in the Senate with a simple majority. But the trade office that the bill can only involve taxing and spending. The nonpartisan Senate parliamentarian, Elizabeth McDonough, decided the minimum wage provision didn't meet that standard. That means- it is going to be impossible for uh, senators, the Democratic senators here, to pass that bill through the Senate because there are certainly not the 60 votes necessary to do it as part of that package. Damn, who knew accomplishing nothing could be so complicated? But yeah, apparently, thanks to the rules of the Senate and the ruling of the Senate's parliamentarian, the stimulus bill can no longer contain a raise in the minimum wage. And if you're wondering what a Senate parliamentarian even is, Well, they're basically the loser who actually reads all the monopoly directions before the game starts. And because of that, they get to block legislation. It's just kind of weird that America goes through this whole grueling election. Like, it's this four year long process. Who's it gonna be? We're voting, we're debating. It's a process to choose everyone who makes the laws. And then there's just this one unelected person who can overrule them all. You know, like, I don't remember Abraham Lincoln saying, "This is a government, of the people, by the people, and for the people, as long as it's cool with Liz. Yes, Liz? So why is there such a bitter fight over the federal minimum wage? Well, you're about to find out in our brand new segment, Let's Get Fiscal. A federal minimum wage is not a new idea in the United States. In fact, America has had one since 1938 when all workers were guaranteed 25 cents an hour. It was a guarantee that no matter how menial a job you had, you could always afford to play a round of Street Fighter II. The problem is that while a lot has changed since then, the minimum wage hasn't changed as much as you might think.
1: This is a chart of the minimum wage in the United States over the past 60 years. You can see how it's gone up and up and up from a dollar an hour in 1960 to $7.25 today. If you take the same line but adjust it for inflation, you'll see the problem. Every time the minimum wage has been raised, inflation has dragged it right back down. Really, America's minimum wage hasn't gone up. It's essentially stayed the same since the 80s. The current federal minimum wage hasn't moved since 2009. It's the longest time the country has gone without raising the minimum wage. Look
2: at this. To feed a family of four for a week in 2009, you'd have to work 17 hours on minimum wage. Now it's 20 hours. To pay your monthly rent, 116 hours back in 09. 151 hours in 2019. And to pay a year of medical bills, you'd have to work 285 more hours in 2019
0: than you had to work in 2009. Yeah, that's right. The minimum wage hasn't been raised since 2009. And when you account for inflation, it actually hasn't gone up since the 1980s. I mean, think about that. The last time the minimum wage had really been raised, we were all out in the streets doing panzulak. I mean, that's what we were doing in South Africa. Like, the 80s didn't just happen in America, you know? And while the minimum wage has remained stagnant, the prices of everything from rent to healthcare have gone way up. So if working a minimum wage job in 1989 could pay for a heart transplant, now all you can afford is having one of those candy hearts taped to your chest. And even then, you gotta buy it on credit. Now, raising the minimum wage is an extremely popular idea. And 59% of Americans think that it should be at least $15 an hour. But in conservative circles, a lot of people think that some workers simply don't need any more money.
1: It's not about like who's starving and who's not, it's about The minimum wage is designed as the first rung on the ladder to get people in the workplace and then up. It was never designed for uh, someone to feed a family on. Uh, It was never designed to be a 40 hour a week wage. My nephew here in in Cleveland, Ohio, right now, he's working an
0: $8 or $10 um, an hour landscaping job for the summer. That's not a living wage, but it shouldn't be. It should, it should motivate him to keep going after something more.
2: My grandson works at McDonald's for minimum wage in Arizona. He doesn't need to make $15 an hour. The wage in place for entry-level employees is so that they can get a job. If you're supporting a family of four, you definitely shouldn't be working a minimum wage job.
0: Here's the thing. Opponents of minimum wage increases can pretend that the only people working these jobs are 16-year-olds just trying to save up for a bag of weed that's actually oregano, but the truth is, Half of the people who benefit from a minimum wage increase are between the ages of 25 and 54, and over a quarter of them have children. I mean, it would be nice if only teenagers had to work these jobs, just like it would be nice if teenagers were the only ones who ran away from home when life got too tough, but that's just not reality. And you'd think this would be easy for politicians to understand, but the problem is a lot of them just aren't looking at the data. Instead, they're reminiscing about how things were when they last worked a minimum wage job.
2: Growing up in a small town, um, I worked for less than the minimum wage. I started busing tables at a dollar an hour. I went up to two and a quarter when they moved me up in the, in the place, and then I finally made it to Cook, which was big time, that was six bucks an hour. My uh, first job was also working for minimum
0: wage at a cell barn, a $1.60 an hour in 1976. That's right. I was scooping cow manure for $1.60 an hour. But within a month's time, I'd worked myself up. I got a dime raise. I worked with about 15 other high school classmates through high school and junior college and helped me not have any debt when I finished college as well. Yeah, I used to work minimum wage shoveling shit. And now look at me. I get a senator's salary for shoveling shit. The irony is that without realizing it, these guys are making a great case for raising the minimum wage. If the minimum wage these senators earned back in the day had kept pace with inflation, it would be way higher than the $7.25 that it is now. And it's great that Senator Marshall left college debt free thanks to his cow poop side hustle, but that's because back when he graduated, his college cost $900 a year. That's what these old dudes don't realize. When they tell these stories about, I had to walk 10 miles from my house, all young people today think is, God damn, you could afford a house? Man, that's balling. So, despite how some people think of the minimum wage, there are many adults who do need to live on it. Now, that's not to say that raising the minimum wage is a magic bullet, because it turns out it does have a few downsides
1: the Congressional Budget Office finds raising the federal minimum wage would pull 900,000 people out of poverty and give about 27 million workers a raise, 27 million, but it comes at a cost. The CBO says that increase would cost 1.4 million jobs and and raise the federal deficit by $54 billion over a decade. So there's a trade-off here.
0: That's right. If the CBO projections are correct, then raising the minimum wage to $15 an hour would help millions of people but it would also mean fewer jobs overall. So you can't ignore that there may be some trade-offs here, but then again, that's the case with all policies. I mean, if you ban assault rifles, it'll save lives, but then Don Jr. would have nothing to pose with to let people know how big his penis is. So look, there is nuance there, but if you ask me, if a job cannot exist unless it pays unsustainable wages, then maybe that job shouldn't exist. Like maybe America has to find another way to help those people losing those jobs or the businesses who need those jobs. But America needs to do something about the minimum wage because the solution can't be maintaining the current situation where you work full-time and still can't make ends meet. I mean, if that's allowed to continue, America will be in such deep shit that even a senator couldn't shovel out of it. All right, when we come back, Roy Wood Jr. reveals the hot new streaming service that you gotta sign up for, so stick around. Welcome back to The Daily Social Distancing Show. Television, it's radio before your eyes. And with all the new streaming services coming out now, there's more television than ever. We had Netflix and Hulu and Amazon. And then just last year, they launched HBO Max and Disney Plus. Now Discovery Plus just launched. At this point, I wouldn't be surprised if soon the Weather Channel started their own streaming service. Check out our new reality show, where we make a hurricane and a tornado live in the same house. Spoiler alert, they don't get along. And I'm proud to announce that tomorrow, we will launch Paramount Plus the streaming service where you can watch all new episodes of The Daily Show, along with SpongeBob, Camp Corral, The Real World Homecoming, New York, and even 90 Day Fiancé. Oh, not 90 Day Fiancé? Oh, sorry, but we do have like every Indian cricket game, right? No? So, sign up for Paramount Plus today. Now, if you're wondering how can I possibly afford all of these streaming services? Well, Leo Deblin has just the service for you. Are you paying too much for streaming services?
2: Netflix, Hulu, Disney Plus, your TV is making more money than you. Well, get ready for movie night because Leo's gonna make it right. Introducing Leo Deblin Streaming Plus Plus, where you can watch every streaming service all in one place. You just FaceTime me and I hold my phone up to the TV.
1: Really, this whole comedian thing was all just a ruse to get on this telethon today.
2: Mrs. Maisel, you scamp. We got Paramount Plus, Apple Plus, Amazon Prime, HBO Max, Peacock, Epic, Stars, BritBox, Quelly, Acorn, IFC, Sundance, Ovid, Stage, Passport, Tubi, Movie, Spool, Boomerang, every service that any of my ex-wives got a login for. Although Sharon just passed so we may be losing crap. And with Streaming Plus Plus, you'll get access to my extensive video library. I got Die Hard 2 on VHS, with the beginning taped over from my cousin's bachelor party in 2003. Ow! Stripper step on my toe. And if you can't afford the premium package, you can subscribe to Streaming Minus, where I just tell you what happened on the show. So then Linda tried to use the tangy lemon glaze, but it made the crust soggy and she was out of that. So say goodbye to Jeff Bezos and Walter Hulu and say hello to Leo Devlin Streaming Plus Plus. It ain't but $85. You can get that from your mama. Leo Devlin Streaming Plus Plus, an institute of Baba friend. Leo
0: Devlin Streaming Plus Plus, an institute of Baba
2: <laughs> Exit 120 by the fairgrounds, next to Foot Locker.
0: All right, when we come back, Kelly Marie Tran talks to me about her journey to becoming a Disney princess. Don't go away. Welcome back to The Daily Social Distancing Show. Earlier today, I spoke with actor Kelly Marie Tran. We talked about going from Star Wars to portraying Disney's first Southeast Asian princess in Raya and the Last Dragon. Kelly Marie Tran, welcome to The Daily Social Distancing Show.
1: Oh my gosh, I'm so excited to be here.
0: Thank you so much. Um, the last time we spoke, we, we were talking about like the journey that you had had, you know, being part of Star Wars, being the face of what many felt like was like bullying online. You know, where people were like, this is part of the biggest problem that we have on social media. Since then, your life seems, seems to have been like really peachy. Before we talk about making a new <laughs> Disney movie, I wanna know as, as one of the few who's doing it, what, what, what is the world when there is no social media?
1: It's amazing. I mean, okay, I will say this. I do have like a lurker account because I want to know what's going on in the news. and <laughs> am like an active citizen of the world, right? But not having to uh, constantly be sort of publicly on it is the best thing I've ever done for my mental health. I will say that,
0: yeah. <laughs> huh, so you're saying that you don't wake up every day with people just telling you that they hate you. This is not a thing that you do.
1: No, no, that's not a thing that I I do. Wow.
0: I I don't know what that's like. I I wake up every morning and I check and I'm like, yep, they're still there. And then I start my day.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Well, now I feel like I'm going to use my lurker account just to be like, we love you, we love you.
0: No, don't do that. Don't even do that. Don't do that. (laughs) I I like the haters because then I go like, at least they see me. They see me. Um... (laughs) You, you, you've you had an amazing journey. I mean, not being in, you know, it's not just one, not two, not three, but it's gonna be like, what, four Disney movies? You're just like the Disney darling right now, it feels like. The movie's Raya and The Lost Dragon. Tell me a little bit about the story. I mean, I've watched it all, but I don't wanna spoil anything for people.
1: So it is about a young girl named Raya who is technically a princess, but I think what's really cool about this movie is that we're really sort of flipping the narrative on what a princess is. She's She's actually really a warrior. And she comes into the world and sort of has this really idealistic way of viewing the world and then the world breaks apart. And then she starts really distrusting everyone. The whole movie sort of is her journey on uh, figuring out how to find the good in the world again and figuring out how to trust people again.
0: The whole story is about how the world was working and then everybody started believing that in order for them to succeed, other people have to fail. And that's when the world starts falling apart. And it feels like that's the world we live in today. What's also cool is that, you you know, we live in a world where everybody who is generally not white gets put into like one category. Like with Asian, it's just like, you're Asian, we're done. But what's cool about the movie is it's like, no, it it sort of tells the story of real life where it's like, hey, this is not a monolith. This is not homogenous. There are Asian peoples. You know, obviously this story takes place with a South Asian perspective, but it is still a story about like all different people coming from the Asian
1: sphere. You know, there was so much research done to make sure that this specific part of the world was was honored in a really authentic way. So to be able to be part of that and and to be able, like you said, to sort of shine a spotlight on all these really specific things, like not only are we talking about the specific fabrics that people are wearing from the different tribes but also the type of martial arts that you're seeing depicted is specifically from this region of the world and the food and it goes on and on and on so to be able to be part of that and recognize how i guess how important it was to disney it just made me really happy as, as someone who was really starved to see herself as a kid right
0: you know, when, when I was watching the movie, I was thinking, it's so amazing how, like in this film especially, Disney just hit on like all the perfect notes. So like you said, the costumes are phenomenal. The acting is amazing. Like the landscapes that we get to see of all the different places and the cultures. And then you have dragons on top of that. Like, We love dragons. right? I mean, it feels like the perfect combination of everything but you made the movie in less than perfect circumstances. I mean, everybody was at ro- in like remote locations, everybody. Where were you recording your parts? Because I-, I don't think everybody was together, right?
1: No, I actually, yeah, I really didn't get to interact with Aquafina at all until we started doing press over Zoom. So wow. a lot of- yeah, we were all completely isolated um i was working out of my boyfriend's apartment and we basically taped sound blankets to the wall and like wow put chairs in. like it was it was not glamorous <laughs> like it was fully just a makeshift fort uh in his bedroom and that's where the majority of this movie was recorded
0: <laughs> did you did you ever have those moments because i know i have doing stuff at home where you're like trying to be really serious you're in the zone and then all of a sudden there's like a Postmates or Uber Eats or something delivery, and you have to like stop. Have you had any of those while filming like Raya?
1: Oh, fully, yeah. Deliveries, and then also just like the sounds of construction outside (laughs) or the internet (laughs) cutting out. Yeah, yeah, and also like voiceover is so weird because you have to do all these like grunting noises and screaming yes. noises. Yes. I, I still live in an apartment. So I was like, my, my neighbors probably think I'm getting murdered or <laughs> I'm doing some crazy stuff. Just like doing all these crazy grunting fight sounds and screaming no at the top of my lungs like 10 times in a row. So when you're doing this,
0: do you just stand there stoically? Are you like, ha! Ha! or do you try and do the moves as well in, in, in the room?
1: Okay, so I fully, originally, like, always try to do the moves. Like, there's that scene at the end of the movie. I don't want to spoil too much, but, you know, it's, like, a very big fireman. And she's got a sword, and she's, like... And I'm fully, like, behind the microphone, like, stabbing around. And and then I would get in trouble because I would move too far from the mic. (laughs) So then I'd have to, like, make sure I was here (laughs) and then be, like, doing this. Ha! Yeah! Yeah! Hilarious. (laughs) Um...
0: The movie, I feel, comes at a perfect time for, for, I mean, a number of reasons. One, we're all stuck at home. It's amazing to see like blockbuster movies and get to enjoy them at home. Um, two, it's, it's a beautiful film, you know, and people love Disney movies, but it's also like the timing of who the movie's about. You know, right now the Asian community in America is facing one of its toughest times where hate crimes are just skyrocketing. Many, you know, prominent Asians in Hollywood saying, hey. We need to fight against this. Everybody needs to step up. And I've seen people on social media saying, let's work together to do this. What do you think the significance of a movie like this is for kids and for people who just watch movies and might have a subconscious understanding of what they're seeing?
1: Exactly what you said. You know, when you make a movie like this, you cannot control the environment in which it's going to be released in. You've absolutely no idea what kind of world you're releasing into. So to be able to be a part of this movie right now when the news is a... a... Can't like you know because I'm lurking lurking on on the internet. I know <laughs> <laughs> it's a constant barrage of attack after attack, and I know for me, like I just really hope that this is a moment where we can come together as a community and really recognize the pride and the joy that comes with celebrating where we're from. You know, we live in a world that's telling us we need to be afraid and we need to hide and we have to be ashamed. And to be part of this movie that is so clearly celebrating instead of hiding feels like such a proud moment for me. And um, I hope that it's one that the community can celebrate.
0: There's also another community that's gonna celebrate it on top of that. And that is gonna be women and little girls everywhere. Cause I mean, you know, one thing people have always said about Disney movies is they go like, and, and Disney themselves have made fun of it in movies like Wreck-It Ralph, is where like the princess is always helpless and always waiting to get rescued. And you watch this movie and it's just like, no, people are just kicking ass. All different types of women, all these princesses as we know them, but it's like, no, these are warriors who just happen to be the daughter of the ruler.
1: Yeah, which I am so stoked about. I mean, I think something that was really important to me coming into this and also really important to Disney as well is we really are really trying to change that narrative. Like what do people think when they think of the word princess? What do people think when they think of the word hero? And you're seeing Raya and Namari and all these other characters. And I really do think they're sort of broadening the idea of what instinctually people think when they think of those words. And it's right. so cool to be part of that change.
0: You're going to carry on your life now. You're going to be lurking online. Um, you're, yeah. you're living your life. It looks like it's treating you well. What advice would you give to, to, to young people out there who feel like they have to be on social media to stay connected with their world, but also suffer with the enduring abuse that might come their way?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think it is, you know, a decision that everyone needs to make on their own individually. But I will also say that there... are boundaries that you can set for yourself, whether that's making sure that certain words, if comments are being left on, you know, your public page, that those don't get through mm-hmm. or time limits. You know, we've had all these documentaries talking about the addictive nature of social media and what it's right. actually doing to change our brains. We can talk about what is what is a healthy time limit for us, that so we can make sure that we are engaging with our community and being active members of society, but also not having to do that at the expense of our own mental health. Right. Um, I just think it's, I think it's a good conversation for us to be having at all, because it feels like for a lot of people, it's almost an expectation without a discussion. So to be able to have the discussion with yourself and with your friends and the people around you, like how can I do this productively, but also make sure that I am mentally in a place where I'm happy. um, These are good conversations to have.
0: Most definitely good conversations to have and uh, a good mental space to be in. Uh, Kelly Marie Tran, thank you so much for joining me on the show and congratulations again. Thank you. Don't forget, people, Raya and the Last Dragon will be in theaters and on Disney+, Plus with premiere access starting on March 5th. All right, we're gonna take a quick break, but we'll be right back after this. Well, that's our show for tonight. But before we go, March is Women's History Month. So please consider supporting an organization called She Should Run. It's a nonpartisan nonprofit working to increase the number of women who are considering a run for public office. Now, by supporting She Should Run, you are helping women from all political leanings, ethnicities, sexual identities, and backgrounds to see themselves as future candidates. So if you're able to help in any way, then just go to the link below and donate whatever you can. Until tomorrow, stay safe out there, wear a mask, and remember, the only person stopping you from achieving your dreams is you and the Senate parliamentarian, but mostly you.